0: Good morning, again, to those who are watching online, those of us who are uh, here uh, together. And happy 2022. Happy New Year. It's a blessing um, to, to be together and to worship God. This morning, I want to talk a little bit about what it looks like for us to um, start into a a new year and to think about it from a a Christian perspective. I was looking at some of the highlights from last year and I looked up uh, what was the 2021 Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year. Anyone have a guess at what that was? It was va- Vax as a, as a short for for vaccinate. And if anything doesn't make you want to like go into a new year more than that, it, sh- it should be that. Like let's just let's let's put put that behind. I, I can't believe that we are, are still and right now in in a, in a surge uh, specifically um, around the world and specifically in Los Angeles. And I know for me, it's like all right. I, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm praying that the, the surge, this pandemic uh, will, will end soon and that we as, as a collective society can can start to live a little bit more normally because I think we think it's about to happen and then it doesn't and then we think it's about to happen and then it doesn't. It seems to just go on uh, forever. And so I'm excited and I hope you are about 2022 and I hope that you get the chance to, to think about whatever your situation is, uh, from hope, because it has been an extremely difficult and continues to be an extremely difficult season for all of us. And that's one of the reasons why I I love the, the Christian message, because the ideas of like a New Year's resolution or a new life beginning, I would argue, is a very Christian thing we'll be taking communion together at the end of, of my sermons, if you want to grab those things uh, at home, go ahead and, and do that. I think it's a very Christian thing to say, like, what was in the past, like, it just doesn't define me anymore. And praise God, we can have that moment on a Tuesday, right? We can have that at any moment when we realize, like, who we are in Christ and what that means for us moving forward. But... It's a very Christian thing to think about, like, I can change. You can change. And those things that were behind, like, they just don't define you. They don't define me anymore. So we'll take communion at the end of my sermon to help us remember, like, that, that is the center of our faith, it's not the singing, though singing helps us to center our, our thoughts on God. It's not the preaching, though that hopefully also helps you to center your thoughts on God. But it is about this truth that Jesus died for your sins and for my sins, and those just simply don't define you anymore. So, this concept of a fresh start is a very Christian thing. I love how. The writer Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 13 and 14, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and, and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So this stuff that was behind me, I, I, I let it go. And I move forward, I strain towards what is ahead, because I believe that what God has called me to is better than my current situation. I'm not going to let that define me anymore. So I strain towards what is ahead and just ask the question, how is it that we might do that? Paul, in another letter to this time a church in Ephesus, says this, be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What Paul says as the making the most of every opportunity there is, is literally in the Greek, redeem your time. So understand that you don't know how much time you have and live in such a way that it's worth how you're living. And he says, beware because the days are evil. And his basic point is that if you just live like everyone else is living, you can end up going with the flow and and doing the wrong thing. You can end up just doing what everyone else is doing and not doing what God has called you to do. So you have to think about every moment as a precious gift that can be redeemed. That's the point that I think the, the Christian message helps us to really connect with this New Year's idea. Because when it's 2022, like, you are excited, right? And perhaps you've stuck to your diet so far. Like, congratulations. Like, you've, you've, you've done it. And, and that sort of, of hope and aspiration and newness, like, because of our identity in Christ, we have the opportunity to claim that at any given moment. And that's awesome. Redeem the time because, like, you can live with that sort of hope and that perspective because of what God has done, and don't just live like everyone else. Don't just think like everybody else. One way that I think we define ourselves, especially pre-pandemic, but I felt like it was really coming back. Um, As we were ramping up a little bit uh, before this, this current surge is in busyness. We like to tell everybody how busy that we are. There's a guy named Wayne Mueller who works with a homeless foundation. And so he was fascinated because he works with all different kinds of people because he works among the homeless. Like he works with very wealthy people, like those in the, who are helping to fund the ministry, those in the middle class who are you know, sometimes volunteering and also helping to fund it, and then also the homeless. Like he was able to spend time around all these different kinds of people. And he says this, as a founder of a public charity, I visit the office of wealthy donors, crowded social service agencies, and the small homes of the poorest families." The quote's a little further back, Uh, we'll get there eventually. Remarkably, within this mosaic, there is a universal refrain, I am so busy. I speak with people in business and education, doctors and daycare workers, shopkeepers and social workers, parents and teachers, nurses and lawyers, students and therapists, community activists and cooks. The more our life speeds up, the more we feel weary, overwhelmed and lost. Despite our good hearts and equally good intentions, our life and work rarely feel light, pleasant or healing. Instead, it all piles up endlessly upon itself. The whole experience of being alive begins to melt into one enormous obligation. It becomes the standard greeting everywhere to say, I am so, busy. And he goes on to explain about an interaction that he has within one day where he's meeting with this CEO who says, like, I'm super busy. And then a few hours later, he meets with a homeless person who says the exact same thing. And he says that the CEO wouldn't understand the homeless person's busyness, just like the homeless person wouldn't understand the CEO's busyness. Homeless person would say, you're, like, not hustling for food? I mean, what are you even doing? <laughs> it maybe feel like it's busy to you, but like what does that make sense? And then the same way the CEO would look at the homeless and say, I, I don't understand you. You don't understand my calendar and all the things that I'm doing. And so it's easy for us to just have this, this idea and this understanding of being like so busy, and that is what gives you value and worth. And If I just stay really busy, and if I stay doing all of of these things, then somehow it's going to make me be more important. But busyness isn't the answer. I mean, I think that quote very much describes our condition. It feels like life just piles in on itself, and it melts into one big obligation, what would it look like for us to not just be busy, but to be really doing the things that we're called to do? And I think that even gets hard because there are so many choices. If you started a diet this year, like, there are so many choices that you could have made. Like, there are so many ways that you could attack your, your health. And um, you're not supposed to eat gluten. No, you can't eat that. No, you're supposed to eat only bacon. Like, who knows how, what diet it is that you're supposed to be on? There are all, all of these things in these conflicting ways, and there are so many choices. How are we supposed to do this? Statistically, it's unbelievable. So, social scientists have said that in the last 50 years, the amount of change that has happened is the amount of change that existed from basically the dawn of humanity to 1950. And I think that's true because I graduated from high school not that long ago and there were things that my like, baseball coaches and health teachers would say to the class that would get them fired right now. And they would say to the class and we go, all right, well, I better be quiet. And I'm not even like talking about the olden days when, you know, you used to have like a paddle in the back. Like it, it, was, it was not that long ago. But even things that were said to me 20 years ago, it, it's complete. Our world is changing so fast. And it's just going at an unbelievable speed. You go to the grocery store and there's 125 different kinds of yogurt. There's 184 different kinds of cereal. There's 250 varieties of soap. And then if you want to figure out what it is that you want to do with your life, there's 500 different bachelor's degrees and it's just expanding all the time. There's a study that said that the typical supermarket in 1980 had 15,000 items, and it's now 50,000 items in the typical supermarket. And this is just our life, right? This is the places we go, the ways that we spend our time. It's just all around us, this endless amount Choices. What are we supposed to do? And I think with all of this stuff and all of these things that are just in the air for us constantly, we don't ask deeper questions. That's one opportunity I think we have right now and in this moment to think, like, what is it? that God is calling me to do? How would God call me forward? As I was thinking about that question, I couldn't help but think of John chapter eight. And I'd love for you to follow along. I don't have the words on the screen because I really want you to, to follow along with the story. So open it up on, on uh, your phone or uh, on if a, a Bible uh, if you want to. Um, so just from John chapter eight, Starting in verse two. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And this is one of the, the more, the, I'd say, interesting interactions that, that Jesus has. And it's a fascinating story that has a lot of, of layers to it. One part that you want to notice is where does it say this is happening? Where, where's the location of this? Anybody have the answer? You have the Bible in front of you? in the temple courts. And so this was situated in the temple courts, and this was a a perfect opportunity. And the text tells us that this was a setup by the religious leaders. Because the Temple Courts is is a great location uh, for this to happen because at the Temple Courts, life was happening for all the Jewish people. It was the the center of of your religious society. It was the center of commerce and everything. And you would go, and that was where everybody was. So the the Jewish uh, believers would have been there. But also in the Temple Courts, right next to the Temple Courts, was a building called the Praetorium, which was a Roman military base. Because Rome basically said to the Jews, you can practice your little religion over here. Like, we don't really care about what you do, um, but just FYI, we're here and we're watching. So the Praetorium was built next to the temple, and it was just a few feet higher, just to show like, just FYI, in case you get a little bit weird. And it's okay, you can practice whatever it is that you want to do, but one rule is you, can't take someone's life. Like, that is the one rule that we have. Do whatever religious traditions you want to, but don't take somebody's life. So think about this context. It is in this religious Jewish center with also the eyes of Rome being right here. And Jesus is presented with an impossible situation, basically. So either violate Rome and take this woman's life in your own hands or violate the scriptures because the scriptures say that you have the right to kill someone who is caught in the act of adultery. So, what are you going to do? Are you going to violate what Rome has said or are you going to violate what the Old Testament says. It's not the Old Testament to them, it's the scriptures. What are you going to do? And obviously, it's very unfair how this situation has happened. If adultery is happening, if you've been in any biology class, it takes two to tango. So, Where's the guy is my first question. And obviously, they, they just view this, this woman as a prop. Like, it's just, they're just trying to, to use her uh, to get Jesus in trouble. And first of all, I, I just love what, what Jesus does. The very first response, they're just looking for an answer. And he just bends down and starts writing in the sand. And we don't know what he was writing. But one thing I'd like to think that I do know, this woman, the Greek says that she is caught in the act of adultery. So who knows what she has? We just know that she's caught in a moment of shame. And I like to think that just for this moment, as Jesus begins to write down what he's doing for her, is taking the eyes of everybody off of her and onto him, which is the thing that she most needs in that moment. But I also just love that response because I know for me, one of the times that I make the worst decisions are when I'm just responding to things quickly and there's some sort of problem. And I just, unfortunately, our world is so fast-paced that if there's a problem, like, you get a text about it within a few minutes, and you're expected to respond to that text, like, within a few minutes, or you get an email right away, and there's like all of these things. And so we live our lives, basically, it feels like going from fire to fire to fire to fire to fire. And there's this situation that Jesus is going to address in just a moment. But as this comes to him, as this this situation, this this question that the religious leaders have for him. He isn't just responding in a given moment out of anxiety or, or fear or to figure he spends some time and again I think it does give the opportunity for the eyes to come onto him and away from her, but he just sits and can we have hearts in that space and sometime to just not just react to everything? To sit for a minute maybe and, and to think about our response? And I, Jesus is the most brilliant person in, in human history, so he doesn't necessarily need to think. I think he knows what he's about to do, but just can we, since we're not God, can we, can we pause a little bit? And then he stands and basically says, all right, if you wanna follow the law, Go ahead, if you're without sin. And it says that the older ones leave first. And it's actually, that part scares me a little bit because I think this shows that these are righteous people. Like once they've been called out, they're like, all right, all right, all right, I'll I'll walk away. But in this given moment, they're all just trying to get ahead of themselves, trying to force Jesus into the situation. But the older ones begin to go away first. I love the Simpsons do a little bit about this. <laughs> they, they, uh, Homer's really religious neighbors. Uh, at one point he says like, well, who, who views without sin? And then like two, two of the kids are like, well, we're both good, so we can either, either one of us can throw the stone. So you should, you should check, check that one out. But the older members, they start to go away first. And then it's just her and him. And Jesus says, where's all the accusers? And she says, they've gone. And he looks at her. says, I'm not going to condemn you either. But you should leave this life behind. And I don't know that we actually really believe that about ourselves. That we are that forgiven in our places where we feel the most shame and the most vulnerable. That we have a savior who Look at all of us and say, I wouldn't keep doing that, but it doesn't define you anymore. As we think about moving forward into this new year, what is it, can you be honest and just think, of something that Jesus would say, let's leave that one behind. You're forgiven, and it doesn't define you anymore, but you know it's not helping. So i just ask you to consider that question. And then I'd ask you to believe that because of the forgiveness of God, because of who our God is, God has the power to actually help you change. God has the power to actually do a new thing in you. And it's again, it's not just because we're in the new year, but the new year is a time when we think about fresh starts, when we think about who it is that God is calling us to be. And as we think about the, the busyness that's in our lives and all the choices that we have, can we just think about like, what is one thing that Jesus will just say, okay, let, let's just leave that one behind. And it's not because I'm, I'm angry at you, but come on. Let's be honest, let's just move forward. And it doesn't define you anymore. You can be free from that. It's in these places of, of shame. And I think about the moment this woman, like having her, her worst moment on display and, and Jesus basically says, don't don't live from this shame. Don't live from all these are the things that are going to cause you to, to doubt yourself or to wonder about this. I'm going to tell you that, that, that I love you, but I don't want you to stay there. You can move forward. So I would just ask you, what is it that if you were to just be completely honest, that Jesus would say to you, that doesn't define you anymore. But I don't want you to stay there. Often when we think about forgiveness, and I, I try to say this often, when we think about forgiveness, sometimes we think of it as like, all right, God, you know, sorry, I, I did that again. And God's like, all right, you know, get back out on the field and go for it. And I do believe that God can forgive you thousands of times for the same thing. And we, we believe that. I, I deeply Believe that. What I try to say often is, but God doesn't want you struggling with the same sin five years from now that you are right now. The goal of God's forgiveness isn't about avoiding hell when you die or avoiding punishment. That is a part of restoration but it's also about you living out a more heavenly experience right now. Are you a greedy person? Let's root that out of your heart right now. Because there's gonna be a day when money doesn't define you anymore and money doesn't solve your biggest problems. You a jealous person? Let's root that out of your heart right now. Because you can participate more and more in God's kingdom right now. And you can be free of these things. That thing doesn't define you anymore. But that doesn't mean that you should just walk in it forever. Go now and walk away from that. Do you believe that the forgiveness of God is that good? And then that you have the power to actually change. I love what's said about David's life. Acts chapter 13, verse 36 describes when he dies, and it says, Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. That's a little grim there at the end. But, and when David had served God's purposes in his generation, And if you know anything about David's story, there's some messed up stuff in David's story. But wouldn't that be great if that was written about you or me one day? We got a little bit out of the way and sometimes it it was frustrating and, and we weren't sure. And sometimes a pandemic was happening and it seemed like life was just out of our control and it was difficult. He served, or she served, God's purposes in his or her generation. What would it look like for you to follow and to walk away from some stuff and to live into God's purposes?